Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, August 19th, 2022. I am Jeff Passan, pinch hitting for Buster only. Joined today by Sarah Abbott. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. That was very sing-song. Taylor Schwink is along (laughs) for the ride as well. Taylor, are you going to sing to me too? Good morning, Jeff Passan. Yep. This is off to a rousing start already. I hope that never happens again, Taylor <laughs> and Sarah. Thank you. We're going to be joined as well by an esteemed group of guests. Howard Bryant, my good friend, the great writer for ESPN and like five other places. I believe making his ESPN platform debut today, guys. Uh, Bailey Freeman, you know him better as Foolish Baseball on youtube uh shout out to the kids uh and at the end paul hembikitis uh hembo is going to come and drop knowledge on us but for now we got highlights friends we got things happening we've got the new york yankees losing and losing and losing and listen thursday night george springer goes five for five frankie montas struggles again and in the second inning When things seem like they are bad, they get worse when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. comes to the plate. 1-0. Guerrero drives it in the air out to deep right field. It's hit well. Judge gets to the wall. He leaps. It's gone! Vladimir Guerrero Jr. strikes again in the Bronx. He goes the opposite way with a three-run blast. And the Blue Jays open a 5-0 lead early in New York. And at that point... They've been staving off panic in New York for a little while now, guys. They've been trying to tell themselves everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine, and they needed a walk-off grand slam from Josh Donaldson the night before. And now the Yankees can't get to Jose Barrios, who entered the game with a 5.61 ERA. Uh, Howard Bryant is going to talk a lot about Yankees panic Are you guys panicking yet? Uh, Or are you, Taylor, wearing your Orioles cap right now, sitting there and doing the Montgomery Burns hands together? (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely panicked for the uh, the Yankees fans. I know the Yankees fans started panicking weeks ago, but, you know, it is it is fun to watch them collapse. This was a, you know, a tricky situation because, you know, I don't want the Blue Jays to to you know, build the gap on the Orioles anymore. So tough to know who to root for in this one. But I, I do like seeing the Yankees fans squirm in the wind. Aaron Boone, not squirming yet. Worried about the lead in the division because he had such a big lead. No, it's, it's this is about us playing well. If we play well, that takes care of itself. You know, obviously, we haven't played well enough in the last 10 days. Um so I think it's more just a rough patch of us not playing well. We have to play better. Uh, but I'll sit there and you know think about this lead. Or it's about us handling our business. If we do that and play the game we're capable of playing the rest of the way, we'll be in good shape. But we got to do that. I, I, I call the area on my face where facial hair doesn't grow the rough patch. I do not call what the Yankees have been doing for the last month and a half, by the way, not 10 days. This is going back like a month and a half, a rough patch. This is this is a team that has flaws and those flaws 
have been exposed and Giancarlo Stanton cannot get back soon enough. Lest we spend too much time on the Yankees, I live in the Midwest. Uh, I want to represent Midwest baseball. And there's nobody right now, guys, representing baseball in the Midwest better than another 40-something-year-old man, Albert Pujols, who on Thursday did this. 6 nothing here, Cardinals, and the pitch to Pujols is hit deep down the left field line towards the wall, and it is gone! A grand slam for Albert Pujols! Pujols hits number 600. Okay, first off, pinch hitting with the bases loaded up 6 nothing in the third inning is a mood. I appreciate that, Ollie Marble, and... Listen, you have to take advantage of what Albert Pujols is these days. And, and what he is, is he's raking in his final season, just crushing it. Uh, we, let's acknowledge Albert Pujols is best used in a limited role. And the role that Ali Marmel, the manager, and John Mosellock, the Cardinals president, have drawn up for him is awfully compelling. Uh, listen to this. In Albert Pujols' 45 plate appearances since the All-Star break, he is slashing 415, 467, 854. That is an OPS of 1320. Do you know who among all the players in baseball with at least 40 plate appearances have a better OPS than that? The answer is nobody. Aaron Judge, second half OPS, 1301. Shohei Otani, 10-20. He's been awesome in the second half. Not as good as Pujols in his limited sample. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, same thing goes. Alex Bregman will talk. Actually, I was going to say we'll talk more about him later, but we can talk about him now because the Houston Astros, uh, on the day that the Chicago White Sox came to an agreement with Elvis Andrews to try and stabilize their shortstop position, stabilize their season, uh, the Houston Astros went and played bully and they hung the White Sox by their underwear on a wedgie nail. Uh, The final score was 21 to five and Alex Bregman was in the middle of all of it. Pitch to Bregman and that's rocketed deep down the left field line. Ball is hooking. If it stays fair, it's gone. And that is a fair ball and the second home run of the game for Alex Bregman. He's driven in five today and the Astros lead is 11 to three. Make that six RBIs for Bregman on that two-run shot. Is 21-5 a football score, guys? It can be. (laughs) (laughs) Scoregami. Anytime anytime you see the 21 in a baseball game, you want to try and, like, what are the the odds? You know, like the field goal safety thing, uh, I'm not quite there, but 21 runs in a game is 21 runs in a game. Tough look for the White Sox, (laughs) who are trying to, you know, stop being a zombie team right now and, and get back in the playoff race. And that's, that's a hard look for them. You look at the white Sox, and, and I say this as a person who picked them to win the world series this year, he says, turning around and walking into the bushes like Homer Simpson. Um, I, I've been waiting on the white Sox for four months now. Like it ain't happening. <laughs> they, <Nope. laughs> they might they might backdoor their way in in the American League Central, but the the idea that the the White Sox with Lucas Giolito struggling the way that he has with the middle of the lineup just not being what we thought it would be. Um, you know, I had I had a tweet a couple of years ago 
talking about all the great contracts that the White Sox have and and what their core looks like uh, for the next five seasons. And it's the same sort of thing that the Atlanta Braves are feeling this week after signing Michael Harris. And we're going to talk with, with Bailey Freeman about that. Um, the, the Braves, boy, they look good over the last couple of days. And uh, in game three of their series with the Mets, they got got by Max Scherzer. Uh, but in game four, they went out and they beat Jacob deGrom. And uh, listen, the, the Mets have plenty to feel confident about. Brett Batty coming up and smashing a home run in his first game. Awesome. The more impressive thing to me, honestly, was the fact that he hit a line drive later, 113 miles an hour. Uh, If he is adding that kind of thunder to that lineup, even when Guillaume and Escobar come back, Batty could find himself in the Mets lineup down the stretch. Uh, But they're, listen, they're not worried. You you lose three or four against Atlanta. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, a-okay with it. We won four when we were when we were back at our place. They won three when when we were here. You know, I don't. I'm not that disappointed. I'm just more disappointed in. Um, you know, I feel like there were some things in this game that, you know, if we could have slightly done a little bit better, um, you know, maybe maybe we pulled away with this one. But that's baseball, and that's good. You know, when good baseball happens, it's usually one or two things. So I'm, I'm not disappointed. Maybe maybe some other guys are. I mean, obviously, um, you would you would love to win every game, but it's just not realistic in baseball. It's not realistic in 162 games. Is either of you disappointed in either team? I just generally speaking, like I, you know, in my life. kid didn't <laughs> empty the dishwasher this morning. Disappointed. Mm. Is there any disappointment? I mean, I Brandon Nimmo. I'm glad he lives a life free of disappointment. It's great. Must be fun. I think that is always the harshest burn when someone says, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And so <laughs> I, I don't know if I could do that to them. But, you know, we're teetering on disappointment. All right. Well, I hope I'm not disappointing you guys and the listeners right now. Uh, sticking in the, in the NL East, Brandon Marsh, big trade deadline acquisition for the Phillies. They gave up Logan Ohapi, who is a very good catching prospect. And Marsh was supposed to fill that center field role and uh, instead is headed to the injured list with a sprained ankle after crashing into the wall. And Odubel Herrera is gone now. And the Phillies claim Bradley Zimmer off waivers. And they're either going to have to play him or Matt Veerling in center. And they are banged up right now. Kyle Schwarber has been out. Bryce Harper still not coming back. Uh, we're going to talk with Paul Hembikitis later about the Phillies because Hembo's always got takes and he's especially always got Phillies takes. Um, we've saved the most important story though for last. And this is going to be something you may have seen or even heard because the audio on this while this is one of those where audio and video together make for something special, the audio itself is pretty fantastic because you can paint the picture in your mind about what's going on. And what's going on is that a grown man is flying down a slide and running into something. Uh, at great speeds. And uh, the, the grown man is named David Vesey. 
if you've not heard of David Vasse, he is a a good guy. He is a nice guy. He's uh, on the Dodgers broadcast, occasionally on TV, um, does radio mostly, though. And what happened to David Vasse led to a, a surprisingly great moment that was encapsulated by Joe Davis, the Dodgers play-by-play man, the voice of Fox baseball now, just losing it. And and that's my favorite part. Joe Davis is always so incredibly composed. I have never seen the man with a hair out of place. And Joe Davis kills big moments. That's what makes him such a great broadcaster. Um, And Joe Davis lost it on the Dodgers broadcast when this went on, which was the perfect call for what happened here. Because David Vasse, who never takes himself too seriously, which is a a wonderful quality to have and perfect for this moment, when Bernie Brewer's slide beckoned, like there was some sort of light emanating from it, like this was this magical thing that was going to fulfill all his dreams, ended up turning into this. David Vasse has been talking for three days about going down the slide here in Milwaukee. I've never heard somebody so excited about doing anything, and David did do it today. Watch. All right, here we go. Holy crap! Holy crap! Holy crap! Holy crap! Holy crap! Strike on Muncie. Oh no, okay. First, I want to report that he's okay. <laughs> okay. Dave. Dave. Hi, guys. <laughs> oh, was that was excellent. The hi, guys, the best part is he's standing there looking like Henry Rowan Gardner after he breaks his arm. <laughs> Joe Davis, by the way, Joe Davis was a college football quarterback. So apparently he takes injuries a lot. Like he said, Dave is okay. Dave Vesse, after crashing into the wall, guys, broke his wrist in two places and cracked six ribs. That's not (laughs) the opposite of has anyone ever hurt themselves on the slide like that? I feel like I see people, you know, broadcasters like, oh, first time at the Brew Stadium, got to go down the slide. And has anyone gotten hurt except for David Vasse? You know what it made me think of? I I just pictured Tim Kirkjian going down oh, the no. cardboard in Williamsport, like sliding down the hill. And what could have happened to poor Tim? But no, Tim's athletic enough to know how to peel out. Vasse just goes straight in, arm up, trying to brace himself. Uh, and and I I don't know if his arm broke and then the force hitting the ribs cracked them too. So if he got injured and then injured himself on top of that, I don't know what sort of uh, percentage assignment to blame on this. All I know is uh, I do hope Dave Vasse heals up very quickly, but I appreciate him giving us the gift. That is holy crap. Holy crap. Holy crap. And hi, guys. <laughs> and hi, guys. <laughs> That's exactly right. He needs right. to make a t-shirt that just says, hi, guys. <laughs> I think we should do that for him, shouldn't we? <laughs> I think it's a brilliant plan. 
All right, Taylor, what you promoting today? All right, Jeff. Uh, first things first, Fantasy's Focus Football. They are on the heels of their fantasy f- football marathon and their draft and everything. They're back in full swing five days a week uh, with Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and my good friend Daniel Dopp. He's in the mix now, full-time talent, big time. Very excited for him. They're providing you all the information you need for your fantasy football team this season. Expert analysis, debates, news, and notes each weekday on Fantasy Focus Football. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Another podcast to promote that we've post- promoted on here, Soup with Coop. Cooper Manning invites players and coaches from across sports to share stories and laughs while enjoying a bowl of his guests' favorite soup. When the soup is finished, the conversation ends. That's Soup with Coop. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Jeff Passan, what is your favorite soup? Okay, first of all, before I answer that, because I am a soup aficionado, so I've got many answers to this. I always was under the impression that it was Cooper Manning, not Cooper Manning. Mm. I I think it was Cooper. Like, I don't know if that's a Southern thing or, but I I remember distinctly seeing his name spelled like Cooper, but it being pronounced Cooper. And it, it confuses me. Would it be soup with Coop? Yeah, that doesn't or, work. Maybe he's like done one of those Hollywood things where he like tweaks his name a little bit to make it more palatable to the the general public. Yeah, it's like Mark. It's like Mark. Uh, you know, Mark Shapiro and and his his dad uh, being a Shapiro. Yeah, you know, like you pronounce your name differently than than you did back in the day. It's it's a possibility. To answer your question, though, I, I spend winters making giant bowls of soup and i have right now in my freezer um i have some carrot soup some roasted carrot soup um i have some chicken noodle soup base but you can't freeze the noodles because the noodles turn to mush um but the best soup like unquestionably the best soup is a good split pea soup with some smoked pork in it it's absolutely unbeatable and uh, I know I sound like an old because I'm saying split pea soup is good. I have no problem with that. Split pea soup is the king of soups. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Our first guest has covered the New York Yankees, the Oakland A's, and the Boston Red Sox. He has written 10, count them, 10 books. Including his latest, Ricky, the life and legend of an American original about the great Ricky Henderson. He is, for my money, the smartest sports writer in America. We are thrilled to be joined by Howard Bryant, who's got all kinds of jobs, but 
really exists in this Godfather-like space where he pontificates and we just listen. So, HB, thank you for joining us. And we will start with one of those books you wrote in 2005, Juicing the Game. It was really the first comprehensive look at doping in baseball. And here we are, 17 years after it was published, almost 25 years after Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa torched the single-season home run record. And Fernando Tatis Jr., <laughs> among the most popular players in the game, is meeting with his GM, A.J. Preller, to try and salvage their relationship after testing positive for performance-enhancing drug use. Um, is there any salvaging, Howard, left for Fernando Tatis Jr. of his reputation at this point? Um, and and are we so numbed by PEDs now that it's just going to be one of those things where we brush it off our shoulders and he goes on with his career? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. And the reason why, and, and thank you for having me on. It's good to see you again. Pandemic-wise, we haven't seen you in a couple of years. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, you know, I, I really, I, I'm stunned. I mean, I think that, I think you've got two things to work on here. Number one, you've got to deal with the world. And then number two, you've got to deal with baseball. They're not the same thing. If we're talking about the world, yeah, PEDs are PEDs. And if you look at football, this is the old Bud Selig line. What about football? You know, guys get popped for their four games or their six games and nobody cares. And you move on and you still go to the Hall of Fame and you do whatever. But now we're talking about baseball. And baseball still treats this really differently. And I think, I think Tatis is going to be a really interesting litmus test because most of the other guys, the big prominent Hall of Fame level guys who got busted, got busted in a different environment. You got caught with PEDs or suspected of PEDs between 98 and say 2010, 2013 with biogenesis. You get to A-Rod. You're not getting in the Hall of Fame. People aren't going to look at you the same. Tatis is a young player. He's brand new. He's got what? 12 years left on that deal? On, you know, and so not just does he have 12 years left on the deal with the Padres. So obviously salvaging the relationship with AJ Preller, that's going to happen because they're got a dozen more years together, depending on what happens with that, you know, with his career, but also 12 more years for the fans. So I think, I think this generation for baseball may finally enter the space that PEDs enter for other sports, which is, hey, remember back in 2022 when Tatis got busted? I think what's going to be interesting with him also as an individual is what they do. He's already had the off-field stuff without the PEDs, with the motorcycle stuff, and whether or not he can be relied on as a championship player. The Padres have gone all in. They got three $300 million guys on that team now. And so if you still end up behind the Giants and the, and the Dodgers after all of this, then I think it's going to be really, really hard for people to look at him as a serious, legendary type player. On the other hand, it's really early. And if he goes out and wins a couple of MVPs or whatever, and they go out and do what they're supposed to do, I think that this sort of goes away. But he's he's the first test case of the new generation of, of PED users. Back then, you were dead for life for, for the rest of your career. And maybe now it's different. Uh, one interesting element to this, I think, is the difference in reception between the United States and the Dominican Republic. 
And the DR where Fernando Tatis Jr. is from uh, has not just embraced David Ortiz, who tested positive, but reveres David Ortiz. Uh, Nelson Cruz in the middle of biogenesis, same thing. And it's why I think a lot of the a lot of the sense that I've gotten from people down in the DR with whom I've been speaking over the last few days, they're, they're not they're not shrugging this off. But it is not seen as the same moral offense down there that it is here. And you can buy them down there. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's still legal down there. So, I mean, at some level, yeah, of course, they look at it differently. And also, he's one of theirs. I mean, the, yes. the attitude down there is no different than the attitude up here in terms of if you're my guy, Andy Pettit, then you were rehabbing to help the team get better. And if it's the other team, then the fans are chanting steroids the minute you hop on the field. Yep. So yep. It, it's no different than San Francisco. It's no different than here. You know, I mean, let's face it. When David Ortiz came out and Ortiz was, you know, is in that murky space where he was in the survey testing and who knows, but still it's not that murky. It's still murky enough. But when Manny Ramirez comes out on the field at Fenway Park, people give him a standing ovation. He's one of theirs. And so it's not necessarily an international phenomenon. It's a regional one. It's local. When you're our guy, we protect you. When you're not our guy, we throw stuff at you. Literally sometimes. Literally throwing stuff at you. (laughs) And Andy, I'm glad you brought up Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit, all these years later, is still the only guy to come out and say, yeah, Yeah, I did it. it. (laughs) I did it. No, no, not true. Not true. After after years of denial and finally cornered by the by the federal grand jury, Jason Giambi also. I did it. Yes, but in like an in the moment. Yes, I there was it. no denial from Pettit. The minute the Mitchell report came out, he's like, yeah, it was me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, me. and uh, listen, we, we have had uh, now, thanks to Fernando Tatis, um, haircut induced ringworm introduced into uh into the lexicon i just love taking the l on that if you're if you're tatis you're like yeah i don't know how it happened i don't know what happened but it happened and i'm sorry do not bring the ringworm into the world man we don't want to know that you had i don't care if it's hair cutting induced i don't care if you were playing in the sandbox with some filthy child next to you i don't know whatever it is i don't want to know i don't want to know that you had ringworm i don't know what i know how you got it i just don't want to know at all right filthy children have ringworm. <laughs> <laughs> you have kids you know the deal you know you know they're those those early lice years you got to watch out for that oh that is true getting right we got a false lice diagnosis one time at a haircut <laughs> and that was you know, is that like, like the false positive was that, was that the b sample yeah, that's, exactly, that's exactly right that's exactly right there was a very faint line of lice in my child's head and it wasn't lice no he just had there was this little just, blue thing crawling across my child's forehead shampooed poorly and that's it it was just prowl the horrendous the horrendous hygiene has continued into his teenage years uh speaking of uh things that are awful uh the new york yankees what's going Ooh. on hb or as they say in Spanish, que huele, what a smell, right? <laughs> um, you know, let's be honest about the New York Yankees, shall we? I mean, there was a time not too many weeks ago, they were on the 98 pace. Yep. There was a few weeks ago where people are looking at them like this is a historic team. 
And I'll just be honest with you. I didn't see it. I just looked at them and said, I don't know if they're that good. Are they that good? Was there ever a period? I mean, they still they still run the same offense they've been running since 2017, which is home runs or nothing, mm-hmm. right? They still haven't really had, you know, the first, you know, LeMahieu's first year was the guy where you said, okay, here's a guy who can control the lineup. Line drive hitter gets things started. These guys are, it's a boomer bust team. Like every, you know, they do it really well when, you know, they've got Stanton and Judge and they're hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Um but I looked at them and even looking at their pitching, I was like, I don't look at them. And I, and I think, you know, Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole, but he's got a ton of miles on him. You can get to him. He's not, you know, he's not the old guy where you walked in and it was like, okay, no hit stuff every night. I mean, you can get to him, especially at Fenway Park. He gives up home runs. And so, uh, I just didn't know how good they were. And I, and if I'm, I'm not, this is no shade on the Yankees and it's no shade on anybody. It's simply that when you're watching them, I did not get that feel from them. Um, I didn't get the unbeatable feel. And one of the reasons why I didn't get the unbeatable feel from them was because they played really, really close games against really, really good teams. The Astros could have walked out of there and said, we've had them four straight They're, yep. you know, so there's that. And so I was putting them not necessarily in in the 01 Mariners category where it's like, okay, you guys are just winning a ton of games, but I don't know how good you are. Or last year's Giants, you guys are winning a ton of games, but I really don't know how good you are. And that's where I put them. So to me, if you take that sentiment, which is what I've had all season for them, and then you also add the fact that baseball has decided to be a tournament sport where the best team doesn't even matter anymore. You're still going to get to the postseason and anybody can get you. I did not look at this team like some sort of juggernaut. Um, I just thought I was, I, I, I was I was sold on the Yankees because of two things: the home runs and the bullpen. Uh, yeah, it, but the home feels, runs are the thing that gets you in the postseason. It, uh, the home runs are the thing that can they, they go away in the postseason, postseason too. Like, and then they come it, back. Sure, uh, but that's and and the bullpen. That's the other thing. Right. And that's why I think it's really sort of unfair. Like we're in a new, a new territory. So I think it's really, really unfair in some ways to try to compare eras. Because yes. if you're going to go back and look at the 05 White Sox, okay, they had pitchers who were going eight innings for the whole postseason. Like every Damn. guy was going eight innings. I was going to say, we saw CGs in the postseason. Ozzie Guillen was riding. That's right. He was like, guys. let's just go. Right. Yep. This is our best. But I think that now when you've got a, 12, 13 pitcher staff, and this is how you're going, and you're going to do this assembly line pitching thing. There's just too many variables. I mean, baseball already, baseball already is in a different space. I remember back in 2016, we're at the, we were there at the World Series, we're at the Cubs and, and the Indians, and I'm talking to, to Tito. And I had already talked to Dave Dombrowski about this earlier, and, and there was this idea about expanding the playoffs. And Tito was like, the more, the better, the more, the better, the more, the better. And there was a great sentiment. And you're seeing it now. There was a sentiment to keep expanding the playoffs. And I, I'm sort of a purist and traditionalist. I, mean, I can't believe you're going to call me conservative on this. But when it comes to baseball, I'm one of those guys. Oh, one yeah. Of conservative guys. Right. And so the difference between this sport and the other sports is that, sure, you can expand the basketball playoffs and you can have, you know, 16 of 30 teams make the playoffs. But the problem with baseball is that because of the nature of the sport, if Pedro Martinez is your best player, your best team is only on the field 20% of the season, right? So you're never really running out there, you know, you know, you're the 98 Bulls or you're the 20, you know, 16 Warriors or 2017 Warriors. Your best team is on the court every single night. And so now 
you you already have that as a as a baseline for your sport. And then on top of that, now you've done this sort of assembly line thing where pitching is, you know, we're not in it for performances anymore. We're in it for 27 outs. If we need 13 guys to get 27 outs, then we don't we don't need Mark Beerley throwing a, 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 you know, 200 pitch complete game. But we don't need that piece of the game anymore. I disagree with that. I just think that when you get to the postseason, everybody's gassed, the variables go up and that 13, 12 pitcher thing, you know, for three weeks does not work where you can count on it, you know? You know what, though? Let's let's just uh, turn around and see the argument that MLB teams are trying to make. You talk about how if Pedro Martinez is your best player, you have your best team on the field only 20% of the time. If your pitching staff, talent-wise, is flat from Mm -hmm. your number one guy to your number 13 guy, having more of those pitchers pitch more often does bring that talent level theoretically up a little bit higher or at yeah. least even things out. Yeah, with one huge caveat. Or actually you two huge stars. Ca- <laughs> well, no, the two huge caveats. Number one is we all know that the deeper you get into the pitch and nobody's that good. Yeah. That's the one thing. I mean, it's not like you've got a, a, a flat line. There's a reason why you're let's say in the old days. There's a reason why he's in the bullpen, right? So eventually those guys get exposed. And two... The wear and tear on somebody's arm is different than playing 48 minutes of basketball. Yeah. And so by the time you get to October, you're not the same guy. I mean, that's not to say basketball players don't get tired because they absolutely watch the Celtics and the Warriors. The Celtics were done. They were finished. The more you stretch this out, the more variables you get. By the time you get to October, that's why you have those weird ass fluctuations in the postseason where you go four runs, four games without scoring and all of a sudden you hit five home runs. Or when there are certain guys you could count on and now they can't get anybody out because everybody's done. You go back and read Kurt Flood's book, his autobiography, The Way It Is, back in 1970, 71 rather. He's talking about by the end of the season, everybody's done. And he was playing before the ALC, before the championship series started. And those were best of five. So you look at this now, who knows what this new world is And he was playing with greenies. And he was he's been with greenies. <laughs> Leave it to you. But, you know, I mean, you just, it's the same wheel. And by the time you get to the, you know, by the time you get to Halloween, man, give me 12 guys out there who can give you a performance. It's usually why it usually hangs on whoever's the last man standing is who's going to win. I'm, I'm glad you bring up the end of October because uh, you pointed something out to me that uh, I, I hadn't spent much time thinking about. But the World Series schedule came out this week mm. and uh, absent from the 2022 World Series is a game on Sunday, Howard Bryant. Uh, why is that? That's a white flag. I mean, I have been torn on this. There have been people who have said, look, if the numbers show you can't compete with football, then don't compete with football. This is the smart move. Major League Baseball is essentially saying, look, our most important games can't compete with week five of the NFL season. And therefore, we need to adjust to the realities of our world. And that is smart business. What is the point of smashing your head against the wall and trying to expect a different result? I understand that. I kind of respect it. Except that these are your most important games. Yeah, I mean, these are your most important games and that there are people who want to watch the sport. And if you are trending in the direction that you're trending, um, as baseball has been, where, you know, their average, you know, viewers 
87 years old, then that person's going to watch the game. And people are going to watch the sport that they want to watch. And you may even get more backlash for people. Now, it's a small minority of people who are going to be traveling. But you're essentially saying, look, we're not even thinking about the fans who want to go to a road game. Mm-hmm. You know, you need those weekend games if you want to have people try to travel and go see your sport. And so to me, I, I get where they're coming from. But I also think you have some other alternatives. If you're going to lose anyway, then the game is meant to be played in the daytime. How about a day game World Series? How, how about you. You know, Thank how about a one you. o'clock or something? So you get young people watching your sport. I remember Don Fear and I were going through this when I was working on Juice in the Game back in 05 or 04. Um, and, and I remember him saying, why doesn't anybody else complain that, that in March Madness, the, you know, the championship game starts at nine o'clock on a Monday? Why isn't anybody complaining that the NBA games start at nine o'clock? I said, because those games are time, Don. And watching baseball, is very different than watching basketball. And so watching a sport that might put you to sleep at four o'clock is absolutely going to put you to sleep at nine o'clock. <laughs> and you're, and generationally, it's just a slower game. That's all. I mean, it's a daytime slow sport. It's fine. I love baseball. I don't love watching baseball at 10 o'clock at night. And so that baseball just doesn't. I think baseball, we always make fun of baseball because we always seem like they don't know how to do it right. We criticize them for getting it wrong all the time. I don't know if we've ever said, hey, baseball got it right this time. We don't say that very often. But the one thing I used to say to Bud, and I've said it to Rob periodically, is that they really do have to, at some point, embrace the things they do well. People like their traditions. Hang on to your traditions. And Play the game at two o'clock in the afternoon. If you're if you're gonna get swamped by Sunday night football, then you know, put yourself up against Jaguars and Browns at one o'clock on on Sunday and see what happens. That would be a slaughter as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not just, if we're just if we're just being realistic. Well, but if we're also being real, then you should blame yourself for deciding that you're a regional sport for the last twenty five years. That's uh, you know what when when you take the regional sport dollars when you prioritize rsn money the consequences are going to come to roost um we got one more minute here howard bryant and uh one of our bleacher tweets was asking for the best story from your ricky henderson biography that was not included in the book i'm imagine it being ricky you have some that are not suitable for this podcast that is true Uh, do you have any that perhaps are? I have one that is very suitable. Um, and one, and I didn't get it in the book because I wrote it, couldn't find it, thought I'd forgotten all about it, and then realized, oh my God, it's on, it was on my old computer. I forgot I had switched computers. So there's an anecdote that was sitting all of on us, an, All of us, by the way, have done that. We have done that, right? So oh. it turns out that Richard Dotson, the old pitcher for the White Sox, playing for Tony La Russa with the White Sox back in 83, I think, 80, the year they won it, 83, um, throws at Ricky and they've got something going on. And so now the next day is a Sunday. And then Ricky, you know, obviously Ricky just tears him apart. And so now La Russa's got a jag on Ricky. Dotson's got a jag on Ricky. They're all upset. And so Rudy Law, the old speedster, uh, from Richmond, California, not far from where Ricky grew up in Oakland, talks to Ricky pregame and says, hey, there's a bounty on you today, dog. You know, be careful. This, you know, it could go down today. 
And now Ricky's not that popular with his own team because they're mad at him because he's not taking batting practice. He's not doing, you know, Ricky's about to be a free agent and you know, so he wants his money. He's always upset about stuff. And so there's not a lot of consensus that if they go after Ricky, that his team is going to like really support him. <laughs> so Ricky walks into the dugout you know, before the game and says, I hear they're coming after me today. And if anything goes down, if I don't see everybody off this bench, after I whoop their asses, I'm whooping everybody's ass in here too. <laughs> and what what was the reaction of his teammates when he said this? <laughs> well, it went down and everybody was out there. So so so, you know, clearly they didn't want to scrap with Ricky. And, you know, there was a little thing, which is why, which is the origins of Ricky and Tony not really getting along, you know, from the White Sox days. Um, but when it did go down, the benches did clear. Ah, Howard Bryant, you are a gem. And <laughs> Ricky Henderson uh, was the, I, I, I feel like rarely has there been a better fit between uh, subject and writer uh if if you have not gone out yet uh and gotten ricky the life and legend of an american original please do yourself a favor and do so and get uh all nine other of howard bryant's <laughs> books uh howard thank you so much for joining us here on the baseball tonight podcast it is always appreciated good seeing you man i'll talk to you soon I'd like to thank my son, Jack, for our next guest. I told him I'm hosting Buster's podcast on Friday. I need guests. Who should I book? And without one iota of hesitation, his response was foolish. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the Foolish Baseball channel on YouTube, do yourselves a favor. Go check out a few of the videos and enjoy the amalgamation of intelligence, irreverence, 80s graphics, analytics, or as one of my bosses put it, it is like a hipster John boy. Uh, and with that backhanded compliment, I'm very excited to welcome Bailey Freeman, the brains and brawn behind Foolish, onto what I believe is his debut on ESPN platforms. Bailey, is that correct? That's true. This is my first time with the worldwide leader in sports. Oh, thank you for joining us. And uh, I'd like to start with an incisive question, which is, why have you not made a video about Adley Rushman on whom I have a baseball man crush that may be exceeded only by yours? Oh, it's true. I mean, Adley is just on a roll in the second half, and I really do love the catch position. So I wouldn't say never in terms of making, you know, dedicating three weeks of my life into creating an Adley Rushman video. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the second half numbers on Adley are just astounding. He's, he's hitting 300 and his on-base percentage is 458 in the second half. Mm -hmm. That is second only to Aaron Judge. I, uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you said takes three weeks to do something because I, I want you to take us behind the curtain a little bit here. Uh, how did you start making these baseball bits videos that have grown so greatly in popularity? And how long does it take you to, to go from start to finish to put these things together. Yeah. So I got started because I just felt like there was a genre of YouTube video out there that I myself would want to watch, but that didn't quite exist yet. Um, I was lucky enough to start making these videos around the time MLB was getting a little bit more lax with regards to their copyright enforcement on YouTube. 
you know, the, the phrase, you know, without the express written consent of major league baseball exists in our cultural lexicon for a reason. And so, um, part of it was just really good timing. Part of it was, uh, you know, I wanted to make a type of video that I hadn't seen yet. And that was basically a video that was going to help translate some of the sabermetric analytical type concepts that have existed in the public sphere, mainly on blogs, but not really on a website like YouTube, where a lot of people are getting their sports nowadays more than ever. You, you grew up a Braves fan. Um, the Michael Harris extension done, the Austin Riley extension done, the Matt Olson extension earlier this year. Um, it's a good time to like the Braves. Uh, how many organizations, if any, do you see better positioned going into the mid and even late with the Braves 2020s than Atlanta is right now? It's looking really good. And, you know, Obviously, they're defending World Series champions, but I'm I'm most surprised this year by the contributions from young guys who weren't on the team last year. Uh-huh. Uh, Michael Harris, obviously, being one of them, but uh, William Contreras has been awesome. Spencer Strider is up there with Harris in that Rookie of the Year race. Obviously, they have Acuna back, and you know, just you look at the amount of just years of control on some of these guys, especially the ones that have just been recently extended. Like, yes, the core of this team is going to be around for quite a while. So it's a great time to be a Braves fan for me on like a personal note. I'm, I'm struggling to care about the outcome of the season because it felt like them winning the world series last year was just sort of like the culmination of all things, baseball fandom. Although I will say like the, the Mets this year have definitely rejuvenated it because now there's, mm-hmm. you know, now there's something to aim for and that's taking down the Mets in the division. Yeah. The, the Mets are really good and mm-hmm. that has not been the case in, in recent history. And I, you know, it, it's interesting hearing you talk about the 162 game season losing some of its resonance. That's always, that's always the difficult thing for baseball, right? Like how do you capture minds and attentions over a six month period? And, and one thing I, I, you know, one thing I hate is when people ask me, how would you fix baseball? Because like I'm a middle-aged white guy, baseball already has me and my demographic, but I, I'm curious if there are any fixes to be made I think it'll probably be in service of the next generation of fans, your generation. So at the risk of, of you hating me for asking it, how would you in hopes of capturing new fans change or evolve baseball? You know, I, so my opinion is that like a lot of the culture war has been won already as far as like uh, players, you know, promoting themselves and and having a platform. And so obviously we'd like to see a logical progression of that. Um, As far as like, I care a lot about baseball on the field. I think there's a lot that could be done to improve the game on the field. And um, one solution coming down the pipeline right now, pitch clock, I think is going to make a much greater difference than a lot of people would anticipate. You know, it's imagine watching, uh, a football game without a play clock or imagine watching a basketball game without a shot clock. Like this is something that could really uh, increase just like how aesthetically pleasing a major league baseball game is to watch. In my opinion, how many minor league games have you watched this year? So I've watched, I, I funnily enough, I'm going to one tomorrow, but 
Um, you know, you go there and it's something that you make note of. It doesn't really affect the experience in ways other than it's just positive and it keeps the action. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't affect the experience in ways other than that. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, there, I'm sorry, there's nothing bad about the pitch clock. It's a crisper game. It's a better game. It it, it induces action, I think. Like, you're going to have pitchers who are going to complain about it. You're going to have hitters who are going to be annoyed that they can't step out and do their routine and unvelcro their gloves and revelcro them four times and all the things that have sort of crept into baseball and slowed it down bit by bit, no pun intended um, there. It's just going to be a better game, I think. And I'm, I, you know, when the, when the original idea of the pitch clock came around because I'm uh, I'm an old person, I was like, well, look, baseball's a game with no clock. How dare you do that? Then you watch it and you're like, yep, I'm in easy yeah. as that. Absolutely. Part of my baseball background and sort of like my origin story is I started the Foolish Baseball channel when I was living in Germany for a year after I finished college. And I would uh, volunteer with uh, a couple of baseball clubs in Germany. And I remember, I don't remember if they actually had an official pitch clock, but they were routinely playing nine inning games in two hours and then turning it over and doing it again for a double header. And I just remember like sitting there and I was like, this is great for the spectator experience, even though the level of play isn't very high. That's all we need. Speaking of great for the spectator experience, I do not want to wrap this segment without giving you a forum to wax poetically on everybody's favorite double C thick first baseman, Vinny Pasquantino. Bailey, the floor is yours. Why do people love Vinny Pasquantino and why should they know who he is? We just don't see players like this who make contact with this frequency or quality. So Vinny Pasquantino right now he makes contact on 86% of his swings, but his average exit velocity is 92 miles per hour. And that's just sort of unheard of in the StatCast era. The best comparison I could give to that is 2018 Mookie Betts in terms of just <laughs> having that high of a contact rate and that high of an average exit velocity. And that's maybe the greatest season of the last 10 years is 2018 Mookie Betts. And um, so he's he's great for that. I think there, if I could compare him to another Dodger, I'd almost say it's Freddie Freeman-esque, just the way he's uh-huh. able to consistently make great contact, not just make contact, but make great contact with the baseball. And also, I mean, his nicknames are Italian Breakfast and or Italian Nightmare. So what's not to love about that? <laughs> I'm just glad it's not Italian Stallion. Sometimes uh, like, that's too much. Sometimes that. the rhyme is just excessive. Um, I, I look at Vinny Pasquantino like like proto Vogi. Mm. Like he's he's like the evolved version of Daniel Vogelbach with good swing decisions. Uh, but he's just better. And I, you know, even though I live in Kansas city, haven't gotten a chance to talk with him yet. I think based on uh, some people who I know who are familiar with him, Vinny Pasquantino has like an 80 personality and is going to be like on magazine covers. Actually the magazine still exists. No, he's going to be on, uh, on YouTube channels like baseball bits for, for his awesomeness. Um, we got one more question for you, Bailey. Uh, it's a bleacher uh, tweet and it's from at the underscore son underscore of underscore car Carson. You use too many underscores, but you did ask a good question. Jeff, you have a copy of Pinkerton and are clearly a Weezer fan. 
Bailey is also a Weezer fan. So which is better, the Blue Album or Pinkerton? Bailey Freeman, this will tell me a lot about you. Are you a blue guy? You're clearly a both guy because everyone who likes Weezer is a a both man or woman. But if you got to make a choice, if you got to take one album to your desert island, which is it? So let me just get in a take here real quick, and then I will answer the question. My my ultimate Weezer take is that songs from the black hole which is their canceled yeah. album is actually my favorite yeah i was um, gonna say you were you were gonna drop a maladroit is the best on no I, yeah but- I, I would not do that so i'm really first three albums even though the third one doesn't really exist weezer fan but between the two between blue and pinkerton i would have to take pinkerton i just like the production it's like really grimy and distorted and yes. that's what i like uh totally with you and uh, it's just, I don't know. Every every song on Pinkerton feels like a ten of ten. Like I was I was in the car yesterday and El Scorcho came on, and I was sitting there, and, and my my younger child has really gotten into into professional wrestling uh, of late, and it, just hearing Rivers Cuomo say, uh, watching grunge leg drop new jack through a press table and i was i was thinking oh my goodness like the multitudes that this record contains like it's talking about um the the beauty of paper that comes from japan and it's talking about ecw wrestling and yeah. i'm sorry that like their blue albums got great stuff alton gonzalez my colleague will argue to the death that blue is clearly a better record uh alden's also wrong on many things and the fact that you just said pinkerton is the better album uh completely validates your place on this podcast bailey freeman so thank you for joining us everybody please go check out his youtube channels foolish baseball foolish bailey um he is a star and will make you smarter and uh we truly appreciate you joining us bailey thank you all right thank you jeff thank you jack dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites that's why you got to check out next guard plus a foxaloner moxidectin and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. 
Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Our final guest is a familiar one to the show, to ESPN's Airwaves. He is everywhere. He is always thinking about sports. He loves baseball. He is Paul Hembikitis. Hembo, thank you so much for being here. Jeff, you know, I was in preparing my notes for today. I hearkened back to the first time that I met you. We've come a long way since I accosted you at the 2013 Futures game at City Field. Do you happen to remember the first time that we met? I, well, I remember you definitely like sliding into my DMs mm. and this was before people generally slid into my DMs and uh, you were you were very kind and uh, very complimentary. And at first I thought, who's this weirdo? Uh, but but over time, uh, <laughs> you, you, you sold me. I, I made it. Uh, what, anything about that particular meeting uh, stand out to you? I don't recall the content of our conversation, but our listeners should know that Jeff Passan at the Futures game circa 2013, I mean, we're talking like Bruce Springsteen at a New Jersey strip mall. We're talking like the most popular guy in the room. You needed a lot more security than you had with you. You were lucky that I was just an innocent bystander. All right, let me tell you one thing I adore about Hembo. He always has takes. And, and they are generally informed takes. I appreciate that Hembo looks into things, backs up his opinions, comes prepared. And my appreciation is truly rewarded here because Hembo has some takes and I'm going to prompt him and he's just going to let it eat and we're going to sit back and either agree with him or laugh at him and either of these things is an acceptable outcome. So Hembo, take number one. Alex Bregman is back and better than ever go. Well, he was well on his way, it seemed, to a third straight uninspiring season. He had a 238, 356, 408 first half slash line, kind of blah, right? Well, since then, it's 343, 404, 667 in 27 games since the break. He's been the best hitter in a lineup that includes Jordan Alvarez. So, how is he doing it? Number one, Jeff Passan, it looks to me like he has recaptured a lot of that bat speed. It appeared he had lost. He had only two extra base hits in the entire first half against premium velocity. I measured that 95 plus. He had two of those on Tuesday alone against Dylan Cease. Okay, number two, he is really hunting pitches in his happy place, the lower half of the zone, swinging 45% of the time, up 31 from the first half. He's slugging 759 on those swings. He's the best low ball hitter in the sport right now. And three, he's back to being a tough two strike out. He batted 144 in two strike counts in the first half of the season. He's at 341 since the break. Now, perhaps it was only a matter of time. Over the last five years, Bregman's got 347 walks against 307 strikeouts. It is impossible to produce that ratio without a masterful control of the strike zone. You blend that with the damage that he's doing now, I think that Houston lineup is going to be a scary sight in the playoffs. I'm not going to say Alex Bregman is better than ever. I actually voted for him in 2019 MVP over Mm. Mike Trout, over Marcus Simeon. So I think I have seen better version of Alex Bregman, but I'll give you this, Hambo. He's a lot better than he's been pretty much post-Astros cheating scandal. 
Like, I think that's fair to say. Yes. And when you consider all that went with that and the conspiracy theories that came as a result, and I think somewhat fairly, honestly, like, I hate to say it this way because I was very anti-Astros for the longest time, but as I'm watching him bop here in the second half, like I'm kind of happy for the guy. I thought I'd be rooting against him the rest of his career, but I don't feel that way, and I'm not quite sure why. Hembo take number two, and we talked about this uh, a little with Foolish Baseball last segment. Uh, The Braves are baseball's likeliest next dynasty. Why is that, Paul? Well, look, the Dodgers have have owned the National League for the better part of the last decade, and they don't look to be going anywhere anytime soon. But I am even more optimistic about the Braves' future in both the short and long term than any other team in the sport. All right, so since 2019, the Braves have committed $589 in extensions to seven different position players with less than five years of accrued service time. No other team is within $150 million of them using that criteria. But much more importantly, those $589 million covers 41 contract years of mostly prime service time. Now, I used the word dynasty. So why might the Braves become one? Well, this might be an unsophisticated start, but I mean, they've already won one. And when you look at dynasties across history, most of those won one, you might say, ahead of schedule. Secondly, They've also, through the foresight of Alex Anthopoulos, I think opened the door to become major players in both free agency and the trade market for high-priced players. Think Kevin Durant to the Warriors. Think Randy Moss to the Patriots. And three, and this might even be the most important reason of all, it's pretty clear they've built one of baseball's best cultures. It's one thing to say that you prioritize it. It's a whole nother to build one in which players are willing to forfeit future dollars and lock themselves into the building plan sort of just like this, I think what they are doing from a long-term building perspective is sort of singularly remarkable in the sort of context of baseball today. What they have done, Hembo, is they have clearly prioritized locking up position players. If you go look at Alex Anthopoulos's history, he generally does not give big money or big years to pitchers. I mean, I, I think Maybe the longest contract he's done is Ricky Romero's, if you remember. Mm. One of those John Lester-type deals, like five years, $30 million, didn't work out great. But I I look at the Braves pitching, and that is the one fly in the potential ointment here. Um, I, you know, are they going to lock up Max Freed? They should. Like, Max Freed is one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball. Max Freed's the guy who went head-to-head with Jacob deGrom on Thursday night and came out on the better end of it. Uh, Max Fried's the guy who throws shutout ball during the World Series. And I understand Spencer Strider's there. Kyle Wright is there. Like, they've done a good job of producing arms internally. But all those savings that they're getting from these undermarket contracts for the position players, are they going to turn around and put them into Liberty coffers or are they going to go out and spend money on a free agent starter or lock up their own guys? Because at the end of the day, Hembo pitching still really matters. Pitching still really matters. But as you well know, you wrote an entire book about it that I read cover to cover. Pitching is still way more volatile than anything else of its kind. And if you're going to lock up, if you're going to spend that kind of money to lock up young players, Position players are the way to go. What they're clearly betting on is that their development system blended with their ability to find innings on the uh, sort of open market 
is a better strategy than doing so internally. And the way that they've locked up all these young position players, they've got their lineup set for the better part of a decade. And I'm willing to bet that they can figure out their pitching. All right, Hembo, this may be your hottest take of all. Take number three, the Guardians already won the Francisco Lindor trade. Make your case. Well, there are any number of reasons why the Guardians, with the number 27 payroll in the sport, are atop their division. But at the very top of that list is the absolute haul that they received for Francisco Lindor. As a reminder, it was Lindor entering a contract year, right, plus Carlos Carrasco for Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, and two more developmental minor leaguers. So the Mets have received 6.3 war from Lindor and Carrasco this season. And for those 6.3 war, they're paying that tandem $46 million. The Guardians, meanwhile, have received 8.5 war from Jimenez and Rosario. They're paying them a combined $5.5 million. Rosario's on the books for one more year and Jimenez for four more years. Now, it has been well established on this podcast that you do not believe I am good at math, and the reason for that is because I predicted Albert Pujols would get to 715 home runs this season. However, you don't have to be a mathlete to uh, decide that, by the way that we measure these things in the industry, so far to me, it looks like Chris Antonetti has made out like a bandit. Andres Jimenez is really good. Really I will, good. I will, I will give you that. And the fact that there were a number of shortstops on the free agent market last year, that there were going to be a number of shortstops on the free agent market this year, one could make the argument that giving up the Hall of Talent and then paying Francisco Lindor $340 million was not the most efficient thing that the New York Mets could do. I'll be honest, I don't care about efficiency right now hmm. because – Embo, for for all of the talk of the Braves dynasty, for all the good feelings about taking three out of four and beating Jake DeGrom like they did on Thursday, the Mets still lead the National League East by three and a half games. Don't get me wrong, Embo. The the Braves are very, very good. Uh, The Mets are the ones who not only have a better record than them, but a better record than the Yankees. The Mets are the ones who are a half game back of Houston for the second best record in baseball. The Mets are the ones scoring the fourth fourth most runs in the game and allowing the fourth fewest uh, in this seeming moment of burying New York baseball teams. Let us not make one mistake, let alone two. The New York Yankees are going to be fine. The Mets are really good. The sky isn't falling. Baseball is hard. Playoffs are random and we all die. Like that's my whole approach to this entire uh, uh, sport that we love, but that sometimes we get a little obsessed over and, and a little reactionary and a little hot takey affair. Uh, and I, as much as perhaps anyone on the network is susceptible to those overreactions, all that I'm saying, I don't even disagree with the word that you said. I don't think that Francisco Lindor has by any means been a bust the way that it may have appeared a year ago. And Carlos Carrasco has given them some good innings this year. What I am saying merely is that by the way that we evaluate these things, by the way that uh, we measure these things, when Antonetti uh, puts that information that I just provided on a spreadsheet and sends it up to his boss, <laughs> he'll say you did a job well done. When you consider those that team and the Mets, they're operating in two very different silos. And so I would say that by traditional measure, like very, very literally, the Guardians have won this trade, at least for my money. Fair. Reasonable. War agrees with you. Um, I, I think the the value of having Francisco Lindor, of, of having – emotional heft coming with a new owner and Steve Cohen and getting buy-in from fans. It's impossible to measure. 
I think it's very real though. And mm. for a, for a fan base that has been uh, as tortured as New York Mets fans have been some of that external, some of that uh, self-guided and motivated. Uh, I, I think the the resonance of Lindor arriving signaled a new era. And perhaps that could have been done without trading Andre Jimenez, but uh, sometimes you just got to pay for something that you can't measure. Uh, Hembo, will, will you stick around with us for bleacher tweets? Because we got some good ones today and, uh, and, and I want you and, and Sarah and Taylor to keep me in check here. Absolutely. I would I love nothing more than to keep Taylor Schwink in check. Get out of here, Hembo. Right, Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. Bleacher Tweets. We're going to start uh, with at Hischak Physics. Hischak uh, with an exclamation point. Can't wait to listen in, Jeff. How many Diet Mountain Dews did you go through at this year's trade deadline? Do you have a backup drink of choice in an emergency situation? Uh, Because this is an audio medium, um, you have not seen this, but I'm curious. uh, Taylor and Sarah, have you seen me drinking a Diet Mountain Dew already this morning? I am a big fan of your love for Diet Mountain Dew, and I think it's responsible that you're going diet. Of course, you know. Have you? Are you? How into are you into uh, Mountain Dew heavies? Are those in your diet? Uh, no, I do not do Mountain Dew heavy. Um, but I did do spiked Mountain Dew at my fantasy baseball draft this year. Ooh, love it! At, like mm-hmm. this, re- like this, really. Like, do you guys know what the name Mountain Dew comes from? Not a clue. Like, like the yeah. etymology of Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew is actually a nickname for moonshine. Like for backwoods brewed in the hills of Tennessee moonshine, among all the things they called it, one of the most popular was Mountain Dew. And the fact that they made Mountain Dew with alcohol this year, when I drank it for the first time, I was Frank the Tank in old school. When it touches your lips, it's so good. And I haven't had one since because I feel like I could, uh, you know, if I'm going to go full Will Ferrell, I feel like I can, uh, I could potentially end up, um, you know, uh, with a really long beard and, and needing rescue from Baxter because uh, Mountain Dew, like alcoholic Mountain Dew would send me to a bad place. But uh, during the trade deadline, the non-alcoholic version of Mountain Dew on deadline day, I will admit only two 20 ounce bottles. I felt really good. And uh, mainly it was because I'm at the age now where Mountain Dew sometimes will make me have to go to the bathroom. And when you're going to be on TV for a two hour show for the trade deadline, there's no time for a bathroom break. So I had to limit my intake that day. Hembo, what's your what's your uh, caffeine of choice here? I know you're a big craft beer guy, but when you're getting ready for get up in the morning, what do you like to drink? I, I rarely drink cra- uh, craft beer uh, as I prepare for get up in the morning. Although sometimes <laughs> when I watch the show, I, uh, I I would like to consume one, if not more than one. <laughs> I just very recently actually started drinking coffee. I've been waking up at three o'clock in the morning for the last eight years. Never needed it. I've just started to. On occasion, I'll throw back a five-hour energy, maybe late in the week if I really feel like I need it. I am not uh, a diet soda drinker, really a soda drinker at all, but I do uh, very much respect where Jeff comes from there. For me, it's coffee, and I'll mix in some five-hour energy if I absolutely must. Uh, Moving on to Mandu, uh, at Mandu3223, this is a of a question. 
who will be the best player in the future? Julio Rodriguez, Michael Harris II, or Adley Rutschman? I mean, it's not Michael Harris. It's not Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> it's got to be one Adley Clutchman, who's just been phenomenal and, and warms me in multiple places in my body. Well, I would have really liked if Taylor were a little bit more specific with where exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that Taylor was not specific. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> Anytime. Um, I'm going to go and uh, do the best I can here to, to make it a clean sweep. We'll see what Jeff's answer is. I believe that what Adley Rutschman is doing as a rookie, as a left, as a excuse me, switch hitting 24 year old catcher, is pretty close to remarkable. Uh, if you just sort of exclude the first dozen or so games he's played. He's been among the 10 best hitters in the sport. The Baltimore Orioles have had a top five pitching staff uh, over that time, and there have been very few catchers that have ever uh, come along with sort of the blend of skills that he has. Rodriguez is a unicorn, a legit 40-40 candidate someday down the line. But uh, Rutschman's collection of skills, I think, will make him the best of that group, at least through his 20s. You are not getting a clean sweep. Um, Mm. This, this is Julio territory. Julio Rodriguez, uh, number one, is younger. Uh, number two, I think his ceiling is higher. But the the real reason that I think he's the guy here is that he's going to play 150 to 160 games a year. And Adley Rutschman, I'm sorry, catchers just don't do that. And they don't do that because they can't last. It is a hard position to go over 120 games a year. And maybe they find some room for him uh, at designated hitter, or maybe he'll play a little bit of first base, but uh, it's just the volume of plate appearances ultimately. And, and the fact that Julio Rodriguez plays a premium position in center field, the fact that he, he runs, he hits for power, he hits for average. If there were any deficiency in any of those places, Adley probably would squeeze in, through that little narrow opening, there just isn't. Julio is everything you want in a young baseball player. At On Deck Report, Braves, Phillies, Padres, and Brewers, who is the odd one out and what order? You know what? We're not going to do order come playoff time. Let's just stick with Braves, Phillies, Padres, Brewers, uh, four playoffs, uh, three playoff spots, four teams. Uh, Hembo, who's out? I think the Brewers are out. And I think the Brewers are out because they're not going to win their division. I favor the Cardinals. The Cardinals have a much easier schedule, as do the Phillies. The Padres, I think, will find a way into the playoffs despite the Fernando Tatis suspension because of all of what they did at the trade deadline. Obviously, right now, Josh Hader looks like a disaster. The hope there, of course, is that he'll correct that. But ultimately, the Braves are a shoe-in. That, I think, is obvious. The Phillies have a really easy schedule for the next three weeks and are doing all of this without Bryce Harper. The combo of Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez has been a really underrated trio, in my judgment, across baseball here over the last year or so. And also, I I guess as a result, sort of by default, I'll say Milwaukee will be the odd team out there. What they do is remarkable, given their payroll or lack thereof. But you can only win so many one-run games over such a long period of time. Producers, any hot takes? Not really. I was really, I, I don't know. I think the Phillies are going to miss out. I would love to see them make it, though. They're fu- they're like fun and annoying to watch all at the same time, which is, uh, you know, an encapsulation <laughs> of Hembo's feelings on them. Uh, from at Nick C. Parker, Jeff, 
If you were really hungry, how many pizza rolls could you eat in one sitting? I want to get predictions from you guys on what mm-hmm. the number you believe would be before I delve into a story answering this. Hmm. Hmm. Jeff, I'm going to set the over under at 29 and a half. Yeah, I was going to say 27. And I was going to say 25. Oh, you, you guys have no idea. Um, <laughs> among my friend group, I am, and this is like friends going back to college. I am very well known for my ability to consume massive amounts of food <laughs> at one time. Like not, I, I'm not Joey Chestnut. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a competitive eater per se, but I have put away like two full medium pizzas in one night. Wow. And, and if I'm, if I'm unrolling pizza rolls and trying to cover the area of two medium pizzas, I put myself somewhere in the range of 75 to a hundred. <laughs> now I think a, a Costco sized purchase there. Maybe, maybe wow. these are delusions of grandeur that I'm engaging in here, but I, I am certain that I would beat the over. I'm pretty sure I would at least double uh, the, the line. And it wouldn't shock me if I were able to triple it. Wow. Jeff, so my only wish, if I could make one, would be that you put down 75 pizza rolls, crush a couple of Mount, uh, Diet Mountain Dews, and yep. then sit down to do the two-hour trade deadline special to see by the end <laughs> what colors the walls were. Uh, I, I, honestly, US. maybe I, I believe I'm going to be in Bristol for for the wild card round, so maybe we should test this out. Oh my god, yeah. what could go wrong? From at Eli twenty seven twenty two. Oh, I love this. Uh, what would your walk up closer entrance song of choice be? Uh, I thought a lot about this. Um, I have strong feelings on this because of, of the wrestling corollary that exists in my, in my mind for an entrance or, or what I look at as a wrestling theme to really hit, like it has to be instantaneously recognizable first note, boom, it just hits you. Um, so I could, you know, like the, the greatest entrances of all time have been generally speaking, like, rock songs like 70s and 80s rock enter sandman hell's bells you know like those are the the best known ones uh, edwin diaz is changing the paradigm a little bit with the trumpets these days so appreciate that felix bautista is coming into a whistle love that um i i, I started off looking uh, you know so what you want by beastie boys is a great song you know right at the beginning it hits um but that's even too cliche for me um, I, I was thinking, uh, you know, public service announcement by Jay-Z, just start off with allow me to reintroduce myself. Like that's perfect. If you're a closer, like if you're coming in good, but, uh, it wasn't quite there. Uh, major look by Nas hits hard at the beginning. You can chant brave hearts. Like a, a chantable element is good because you get audience participation, but in the end, uh, I settled on MOP, Busta Rhymes, Annie Up. Now, do you are you guys familiar with Annie Up? I am not. Probably if I heard it. Can't play it on the okay. podcast. 
Okay, here's here's what I want you to do right now, Taylor. I want you to go to YouTube and I want you to type dad kid MOP. Hembo, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about here? I don't have the slightest clue, but I'm okay. also the least worldly person that you know. Okay. <laughs> so so you type dad kid MOP it. and and what comes up, Taylor? Uh Dad goes crazy on his son to ante up. Okay, now I, as I'm as I'm going to be talking about this, I want I want you to play it and play it with the volume down because the the beauty of ante up is that it starts off with Buster Rhymes coming out saying attention please attention please and you know it, it gets your attention and the beat starts hitting. And there is no song in the world that gets me or anybody I've ever met more hyped than Annie Up by MOP. I looked at the comments on this video, and in the comments, Pammy in Texas said, I'm a 52-year-old <laughs> I'm a 52-year-old grandmother that still goes mental. When I hear Auntie up, if you can get Pammy in Texas, the 52 year old grandma hype with this song, then that is the perfect song for you to walk in and close out a game. Boy, this is a great name. Uh, Chuck Norris, Oris Rex at Chuck Norris. He's missing an R in there, but at Chuck Norris, Oris, how likely is Felix Hernandez to get in the Hall of Fame someday? Cy Young, six-time All-Star, 2,500-plus Ks, 169 wins. Nice, 342 ERA, perfect game. Would he have a stronger chance if he had better run support during his time in Seattle? I will take this one by myself if you guys don't mind, unless you have a hot Felix take. Uh, no, number one, I don't, and we in the Baseball Writers Association don't care about record. If we did, Felix Hernandez would not have won his Cy Young Award. Um, I'm going to look at a few things here. Number one, uh, his seven-year peak is really good. Had 39 wins above replacement uh, during that time, six All-Star games, got votes in uh, Cy Young in six years, finished second twice, won a Cy Young award. If you look at Felix Hernandez through age 29, his comps were incredible. He had 50 wins above replacement by baseball reference. That is 28th all-time through his age 29 season. Greg Maddox had 50.4. Sandy Koufax had fewer. Juan Marichal had fewer. Steve Carlton, Jim Palmer, Justin Verlander. And then Felix Hernandez's career essentially stopped. At age 28, his most similar comp on baseball reference was Greg Maddox. Um, But I think where Felix Hernandez is going to end up is in the Hall of Very Good with Cole Hamels and Kevin Apier and John Lackey and Jake Peavy and Dave Steve, who are all of his greatest comps now on Baseball Reference. All excellent pitchers, no Hall of Famers. I, I almost look at Felix Hernandez like his career was a little longer version of Tim Lincecum's. When he was in his prime, he was incredible, but it was just ultimately too short and not distinguished enough to merit Hall of Fame entry. Does anyone disagree with me on that one? Hembo, any thoughts? He's not He's not a Hall of Famer for me either. I think you had this pegged, and I look back on his numbers retroactively, and I think, frankly, we remember his peak being slightly better than it actually was, not to mention the fact that, like you said, his career in size and scope just does not stack up compared to most anyone in the Hall of Fame. 
All right. That puts a bow on Felix Hernandez, and we're going to put a bow on this show uh, with a, a fun story I have. And, and uh, Blake Newsom at Newsom Sports ATL asks, what is the weirdest fan interaction you've had in public? And I, I truly delight in telling this story um, because I, you know, since, since coming to ESPN, uh, life has, uh, life has changed a little bit. I've, you know, I've been here for three and a half or so years now. And one consequence of being on TV, um, of, of being at this network and, and having your profile raised is that people recognize you in public more and, and people, especially at baseball events, recognize you. And, I was in Atlanta for the World Series last year. And if you guys recall, right before uh, that middle series of games, I, I wrote a, a column talking about why the tomahawk chop uh, should go away. And so uh, the reactions from Braves fans, it, you know, they weren't actually all that bad. There were a number of people who came up to me and said, thank you for writing that. Uh, there were also a number of people who were were rude, and that's Whatever. That's understandable. I can deal with that. Um, the, the one thing, though, about Truist Park, uh, I think it's a, it's a really good stadium. The one thing I don't like about it is that the concourses will get clogged. They will get clogged pregame, especially as people are trying to make their way to their seats. And this wound up with the, the situation where I just got stuck and you know, getting stuck when when you write a, a column that angers a lot of people, it could be a little hairy. And and I figured, you know, I was going to hear it from some Atlanta fans. And so I was just sort of like looking around to see who was there and where it might be coming from. And I lock eyes with the guy who's standing next to me. And he's wearing a Houston Astros hat. And my history with Houston Astros fans is uh, not all that great because of some of the criticism after the cheating scandal. And there are some Astros fans who, you know, don't appreciate what I've said or written. And this gentleman, as we lock eyes, realizes who I am, looks down at my press pass to make sure it's me, sees that it is looks back up and says very simply, not a fan. <laughs> at that moment where he says not a fan, I'm not quite sure how to react. And, and, and I think I said something to the effect of that's fair. And, you know, the traffic broke up at that point and we walked our separate ways. And I was actually very appreciative of that moment and and the appreciation the appreciation came through even more when he later went and tweeted crossed paths with at jeff passon at world series game five and informed him that i'm not a fan he acknowledged and understood i'm good with that and the fact that it ended (laughs) up right there in that place of mutual understanding where this gentleman can say that he is not a fan that I can agree that it's okay to not necessarily be a fan and that we can walk our separate ways shows me, Sarah, Taylor, and Hembo, that, 
America is not beyond repair and that, in fact, we can disagree and still go on with our lives in a pleasant and wonderful way. And uh, with with that, I feel like that is the perfect cap for uh, this episode of the Baseball Tonight podcast. Uh, I wanted to thank Buster Olney for allowing me to slide in his chair and uh, hopefully carry this thing to the weekend in a uh, fashion that he would appreciate. And uh, Paul Hambakitis, Howard Bryant, Bailey Freeman, Sarah Abbott and Taylor Schwink. Uh, each of you has been wonderful and integral to making this thing happen. So thank you for uh, welcoming me into your world and allowing me to uh, bring my own little bit of a reverence to it. Uh, everyone, we got a, a great weekend of baseball head. Uh, Buster will be back Monday. Is that correct? Correct. With Tim Kirkshin. You can watch them on YouTube as well as listen to them wherever you are listening to this podcast right this moment. I love the watch. I love the listen. Thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning in today. Uh, for the whole crew, I am Jeff Passan. Check me out on ESPN.com, on Twitter, on TV, everywhere. Uh, and uh, uh, if you're not a fan, that's okay. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.